Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for the fourth episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And in this first season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we are taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run on the title. Dan, last week you and I talked all about the gadgets, costumes, and powers, oh my, that allowed Peter to become Spider-Man. So uh, now this week, instead of talking about powers and costumes, we're going to talk about all of the tropes and stories that originated during the Lee Ditko run and have gone on to repeat themselves over and over throughout the history of Spider-Man. That sounds really exciting. But uh, this time we're not talking about a particular issue, Mark. We're kind of talking about the whole run. So I think if you're familiar with Spider-Man, there's no need to really read anything before listening to this show. But if you do want to read along, of course, you can read the whole run just about anywhere. This is the most popularly printed run of Spider-Man ever. You can read it print, digital, or as part of Marvel's unlimited service. So now sit tight, grab some wheat cakes, and prepare yourself for If, if This, this is Spider-Man's Spider Destiny. Destiny. One of my all-time favorite stories that was illustrated by Steve Ditko was the Spider-Man story called The Final Chapter. Peter, or Spider-Man, found himself trapped in a subway tunnel with some huge something, a big piece of iron that was holding him down and he couldn't escape without lifting that off him and it looked as though he would he would be trapped there forever. I never realized that Steve would draw it so magnificently. Instead of doing it in a couple of scenes, a couple of panels, like perhaps most artists would have done, Steve stretched that out for a number of pages where you keep seeing Spider-Man straining and forcing himself and trying to lift that huge iron object, but he just couldn't do it. But he didn't give up, and panel after panel, 
page after page. He's trying to free himself, and finally he does, and when he does, after the reader had seen all those other panels and pages, it was such a thrill, even to me, and I was the writer of the story. When I saw that, I almost shouted in triumph. Steve did a wonderful job on that. So, Dan, um, before we get into the actual content of the episode here, I think we have a bit of a mea culpa to issue. Uh, eat some crow, I guess, about um, <laughs> one of the things we addressed last week, which was the uh, original Jack Kirby conception for Spider-Man. Um, I, I guess the, the, the simplest way to put it is we, we kind of fell for the oldest trick in the new media book, which was we got duped by uh, some poor Googling. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the image that we shared about, you know, that kind of, you know, looked like Spider-Man kind of looking like Captain America with a web gun uh, is is um, not not an actual image. It's a doctored image of Giant Man um, that has kind of made its way around the Internet. Um, Dan, I... You know, not to justify us passing false information, but for the record, um, I did remember seeing what was Ditko's kind of conception of what Kirby did uh, for Spider-Man when I was doing my research for the book. And there are some similarities to that illustration to what we ended up sharing last time around. So that's probably part of the reason why I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) So shame on us. We're, we apologize for that. Um, but, you know, Dan is going to drop the the image that we're referring to here. And, and we, we, we have this kind of um, better faith that this is legitimate in some fashion. Right, Dan? Well, it's Dicko's interpretation of Kirby's interpretation. So you can take that as you want. But I think he's been... Um, you know, in, in regards to his version of events, pretty like honest about how things are portrayed there. So if you look down at your player now, you'll see Dicko's version of Kirby's version for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah. And and it's and it's consistent with at least from a written standpoint, what I have found was the original Kirby idea for Spider-Man, which was something that was more of a traditional superhero, which obviously Dicko's version of, you know, the actual version of Spider-Man is not your traditional hero, you know? So um, I I think there's some validity to this. It it, kind of matches up with many, many sources who have corroborated that Kirby's initial pitch was kind of like Captain America, but without the Captain America costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this guy is uh, just as much of a beefcake as uh, Steve Rogers is. And, of course, we have to thank uh, writer extraordinaire Dan Slott for pointing this out for us. Um, we asked the question last week on the show, I wonder why this character didn't make it into Spider-Verse. And now the answer is clear because I asked Dan Slott that, and he said, that's because that character doesn't exist. So, and it's all a fake. So thank you, Dan, for pointing out uh, our mistake. So so then why didn't this character make it into Spider-Verse? Well, that's another question uh, for another time. <laughs> so next week, look, stay tuned for next week's show where we say this isn't real either. 
Yes. <laughs> anyway, so now on to the actual topic du jour. So, Dan, you know, what's that expression about there being only two kinds of stories in literature? Well, for Spider-Man, I, th- I think we could boil it down to more than just two kinds of stories. I mean, there, there, there have been over the years a number of themes and tropes that have repeated themselves again and again until you're sick of them, until you're saying, oh, this thing again. We're going to go over, I think, some of our favorites here. Um, we're going to try and at least give you guys... Because, you know, as Dan mentioned in the intro, we don't we're not really following a specific issue or run of issues for these. But we'll try and give you some origin points. So if you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that is something that shows up a lot in Spider-Man comics. Where did that begin? You know, we've kind of highlighted, if not the very, 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 very first, at least among the very first. <laughs> we're, we're going for it. So um, we're going to start with a personal favorite of mine, Dan, which is the Parker Luck. Yeah, and uh, you you did a lot of research on this to find the first time it was actually referred to as the Parker Luck. Yeah, I mean, I I had when I was starting to organize my book last year, um, I knew I wanted to do an entire chapter dedicated to the Parker Luck because I think it's just such a fascinating uh, thing to be associated with this character. Um, and as part of that, I was kind of like, all right, well, if I'm going to write about it, I have to at least identify. Um, where it's first met, where, where it first occurs. I think it occurs in the very, very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but where it's actually first issued by name is not until almost the bitter end of this run. It's Amazing Spider-Man number 34. Peter uh, gets called out by Harry and Gwen for snubbing them. Uh, ever since college started, you know, like he's not being friends with them and, you know, he's being a jerk to them according to their, you know, the way they see things. Uh, when in actuality, he's been preoccupied with Aunt May because, you know, for the previous three issues, uh, which are a trope in itself that we'll talk about, uh, she had been sick and, and was on the verge of death. And he was, pre- you know, all worried about that. And he was just like, oh, you know, there's that Parker luck again. And I th- believe and, you know, if someone else can can point to an earlier issue, please write in, call in, do it. But I believe that is the first mention by name of the Parker Luck. And, and Dan, what is the Parker Luck? The Parker Luck is almost anything but luck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is the kind of adage that nothing will ever go right. It's a chaos theory of sorts. Uh, for uh, for every equal for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, specifically oriented around Peter. There's definitely an argument to be made that perhaps Peter is the center of the universe on which all things balance. Every time something goes good for Peter, something is surely likely to go bad for Peter. And that's part of it. And the other part of it is that um, every action that he takes is sure to have an opposite reaction in whether it's for good or for ill. Um, you know, he, he is intending to do something good, but it ends up coming across as bad for another person. It's just the idea that nothing will ever go right for Peter entirely. Yeah. And I mean, my, my addendum to that would also be, I've always viewed the Parker Luck also kind of manifesting as if something is going right for Peter it's probably going wrong for Spider-Man and vice versa. When things are going good for Spider-Man, it probably means something is happening in Peter's life that's causing havoc. I mean, there are times where it's just bad all around for both. (laughs) (laughs) 
but like you know it's 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 never it's never going right for both <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. um you know it's and and it's usually you know if he's having good luck as peter it's probably gonna like you said have that inverse effect on his spider-man life and and you know i think you know the when I mentioned the first issue of Spider-Man, I mean, I mean, that whole issue is just dripping with Parker Luckisms. I mean, all the way, you know, he saves John Jameson from the rocket and then still gets labeled a menace. And then he goes home and his Aunt May is like, oh, that 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 awful Spider-Man. And it's like he you know, it's like this kind of like avalanche of reality hitting this character that like he's just never going to be able to be comfortable as Spider-Man. Like there's always going to be a target on him. Uh, and people are always going to make him out to be, um, you know, something darker and sinister than what he is. Um, it's a sort of also, bitter irony. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are there are like other ways that it's manifested itself. I mean, like I I always enjoy you know one of my favorite instances is um, in Amazing Spider-Man number seventeen, uh, which was the second appearance of Green Goblin, and. Uh, Basically, Spider-Man you know, Flash puts together a a meeting of the Spider-Man fan club, and Peter actually gets invited by Liz Allen, who he's you know at this point kind of crushing on, and is crushing on him a little bit. Off and on, and, yeah, off and on, uh, depending depending on how Stan was feeling that week uh, when he was writing it. So Spider-Man shows up, and he's you know full of all these adoring fans, and the Green Goblin shows up, and they're fighting each other. And the Human Torch is there just to, like, add, you know, more rivalry to it. And all of a sudden, like, Spider-Man, as he's in the middle of a fight, overhears on the phone that Aunt May is sick. And he, like, drops everything and makes and looks like a coward. So it's like, you know, here he is finally in front of people who actually like him. And he blows it. And to me, that's the Parker Luck in a nutshell. And even more basic than that, Parker Luck is, you know, the person who runs his fan club is the guy that Peter Parker thinks is a total like nincompoop, you know, yes. Flash Thompson. So, like, there's there's no ev- everything has its like kind of like rose, uh, like thorny lining, you know. Yeah, and and kind of coming on the heels of that storyline is another version of the Parker Luck. With, with this is something a little more darker, which was that, um, you know, to save his aunt, he he gives her a blood you know blood transfusion. And as it turns out, the blood ends up giving Aunt May radiation poisoning, and then that leads to the the three point the three part you know Master Planner trilogy, um, which again we'll, we're going to discuss it in this in this episode in terms of tropes. Um, but you know there there you know he's trying to help somebody and he's trying to do the right thing, and he ends up almost killing that person. So I mean like you know it's it, it can come across kind of humorously like oh look now now everyone thinks spider-man's a coward or it can come across like oh wow spider-man almost killed this person he loved or you know as we learned much later in the the death of gwen stacy ish, uh, issue like it did lead to a character's death i mean that was probably the you know one of the darkest turns for the parker luck yeah absolutely and speaking of gwen stacy uh the, i think the place where it most manifests itself is probably in his love life whether it's, you know, him, like, finally, you know, hitting his stride with one girl only for the other girl to kind of jump in or for him to say, you know what, I don't want to meet this Mary Jane person only for her to end up being really beautiful. Like, he, you know, is, is constantly um, 
Like his love life is constantly up in the air. Although I think many of us would kill to be as lucky with ladies as Peter is. Yeah. Talk about Parker Luck. <laughs> what about like uh, extending from this run? Do you have any comics that you think about that specifically showcase the Parker Luck in a unique way? Well, I mean, not for nothing. I mean, when 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 Peter returned from the dead in um, 2014, I mean, the name of that first arc, you know, the volume three reboot of Amazing Spider-Man was the Parker Luck. And it was all about, you know, like Peter's back. It's great. He's got his body back from Doc Ock. But now he's dealing with all of these ramifications from when Ock was running around his body. So, I mean, you know. I know we kind of ran hot and cold with a lot of the volume three stories, but I mean, it really was a kind of to the most heightened degree, a good, a good, um, demonstration of, of the Parker luck, you know, like, I mean, this, this is, this is the best possible scenario for Peter. He's back from the dead. And yet there's so much chaos in his life from, you know, having to run a company now and black cat thinking, you know, going rogue because, you know, Otto, caught her and threw her in jail when he was superior spider-man et cetera, et cetera. so i mean it or mary jane basically being out of his life now so i mean a lot going on there what about you yeah that's a really good one um one of the ones that i think about um also falls into i think like another trope that we contemplated discussing but ultimately decided not to discuss because it doesn't really become fully formed during the stanley steve dicko era is the kind of trope of like there's no winning for spider-man you know Mm. he often gets put in these situations where you know he might have a victory on one level while completely failing on the other um like you said spider-man can have a victory but peter parker can fail and the one story that always stands out for me is um what happened to crusher hogan where Mm. you know peter is tasked with uh you know watching nathan lubeski for aunt may and in the you know, meantime, he goes to save Crusher Hogan from getting killed as Spider-Man, only for Nathan to wind up in trouble because he was you know ignored him. So there's no real winning sol- solution, and I think that's another trope that makes itself apparent in numerous Spider-Man comics, but just not it's not a big part of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. So I'm going to put it under the Parker Luck for now. Yeah. All right. The next big trope, and I mean Dan, this is. This is a big one, and we've talked about these issues a lot in our Essential series, is Spider-Man quitting. And, you know, probably, you know, the the best instance of this, I mean, again, from the very beginning, Spider-Man, Peter has shown a reluctance to being Spider-Man. I mean, there's so many visuals during the Lee Dicko run of, you know, Peter kind of like throwing his costume in disgust and why, why am I doing this? You know, what good are these powers? What good is being Spider-Man if I can't make money or can't enjoy myself or can't, you know, be out in the public and, and, you know, be popular. Um, but you know, in terms of actual quitting, you know, that there was the three part story in amazing Spider-Man number 17 to 19, you know, we just referred to it earlier, you know, Peter, is fighting the Green Goblin, leaves because he finds out his Aunt May is sick. You know, she she needs a blood transfusion. And, you know, it's kind of like the very first time where Peter is just like, you know, he's the character has been labeled a coward and stuff by the press because he ran away from this fight. And he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. 
And of course, this lasted. I mean, even even when he quits, he still doesn't really quit. <laughs> it's like he's still like, well, there's the Sandman. I guess I got to fight him. And we talked about this at length during the um, essential. I mean, I this was one of my essential picks, although I don't think it got voted into the final list, right, Dan? No, it was just shy. Yeah, although the 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 story that that this begat in terms of the Spider-Man quitting trope, I think was our number one pick for number one voted on pick for essentials. So, Absolutely. you know, it, it goes to show <laughs> sometimes <laughs> maybe because he just didn't quit hard enough. In Spider-Man. <laughs> they have to just call our bluff one of these days and have him actually quit. Right, right. Well, you know, they, they've, they tried a couple of times to make it last more than one issue, but you oh, know, like volume two then. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That, that lasted a whole two issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, of course, obviously the most famous, version of spider-man quitting is amazing spider-man number 50 spider-man no more we just saw this in the most recent issue of amazing spider-man you know parker industries no more i mean this is this is a a a theme a trope that just gets used again again and again i mean you know beyond spider-man no more are there other instances of the quitting trope that you feel have been done well dan well i'm thinking of flipping it with the peter parker no more when he like oh, okay. did the, the spider uh thing with mark bagley uh, yes and, and you even got that inversion cover where it's spider-man walking away from peter parker yeah that was that was always very good i did enjoy and you know they kind of again hit the theme of the spider-man no more visual cover with the um the I guess the end of the first half of the clone saga. It's so yeah. sad that there there halves to the clone saga. Um, <laughs> when when Peter officially hands over the webs to Ben and and rides off into the sunset with Aunt May with Aunt May with Mary Jane. And this one actually lasted a while. I mean, this I hope like he didn't whole... ride off with Aunt May. Yeah, that would have been weird. Uh, <laughs> Aunt May was dead, except she wasn't. But that's okay too, because um, things get undone in Spider Man. Um, but I did enjoy there, – there actually seemed to be some finality to that because I think for the first time the creators actually meant to there be for there to be finality there. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of the other times that this has come up where you know he quits, it's literally just an issue or half an issue or whatever. Um, I mean even Spider-Man No More, it's, it's just over the span of one issue. He's Spider-Man, he quits, and then he's Spider-Man again, although it's a brilliant issue. I'm not trying to demean it. Um, but the, the bottom line is like, you know, is there any other hero besides Spider-Man where quitting is really such like an ongoing drama? <laughs> well, I was going to say, it seems to be a rite of passage for all the like, uh, ancillary Spider-Man characters. Like everybody has a quit story, you know, yeah. like it's just like. Oh, are you a Spider-Man? Well, that means you're going to quit in some form or fashion. How many times have we seen the garbage bin with a costume in it uh, in the history of these characters? Too many. Too many times. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, even when you think of, like, other famous stories, I mean, like, you know, obviously there's, like, Captain America becoming the nomad. But even then, he wasn't quitting being a superhero. He just wasn't going to be Captain America. You know what I mean? Like, he, you know, the, the, his country betrayed him, so he couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, there's been times where, like, the Hulk has tried to, or I should say Bruce Banner has tried to separate himself from the Hulk. But but this is, this is something a little different, because this is like, you know, 
this is someone who, granted, is not willingly put into the position of being Spider-Man, but he he is making a very conscious effort to remain Spider-Man, but but just not do it, not not be responsible. And and because of the fact that this is character's mantra is with great power must also come great responsibility, it can never last, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the next big trope that we want to discuss, and this might be like two tropes in one, okay. uh, is uh, the, the idea that anyone can win a fight when the odds are easy. Uh, Spider-Man never gives up. Like that's, yeah. that's one of the big ones we hear. He is a man of many mantra about not giving up. Yeah, and of course, by saying... You know, anyone can get, can win a fight when the odds are easy. That's quoting from Amazing Spider-Man number 33, which is Spider-Man being crushed by tons of steel and and looking, you know, at his reflection and seeing the the floating heads of guilt of Uncle Ben and Aunt May and and Dan. I I, I don't know. I feel like we just saw this recently in another version of Spider-Man. Am I am I right? Not just in the comics. Yeah, no, you're you're dead on. <laughs> <laughs> it's that the floating head of guilt was Tony Stark this time. <laughs> Disembodied voice of guilt. There you go. But you know, obviously we're talking about Spider Man Homecoming. I mean, this is I mean, obviously Master Planner, it's the essential version of Spider Man not quitting, but we've seen this in other parts. Like one I mean we saw this as early as when, Dan, in this run. Yeah, in Amazing Spider-Man number three, um, you know, the Human Torch comes to Midtown High School and gives a speech about never giving up. And uh, it's funny because, like, despite their rivalry, Peter still tells him, like, thanks, you know, you really inspired me. And, and the Human Torch kind of blows him off. It's like, uh, whatever, dude. Yeah. <laughs> But he does give this uh, speech. Is that the one where he also does uh, flame arithmetic? Yes. Yeah, so there you go. That's always fun. But yeah, yeah, the Human Torch gives him a big inspirational speech that, like, inspires him to go and, and slug it back out with Doc Ock again. Yeah, because he got really humiliated by Doc Ock the first time they met. Although, like, this was kind of a common practice of Spider-Man during this run. Uh, with every new villain he encountered, and we'll probably talk about this more when we break down some of the villain um, villains individually in a future episode, Dan. But um, yeah, Spider-Man just has this penchant of, you know, round one going into a fight, getting his butt kicked because he's either overconfident or underestimates the villain's powers. He kind of licks his wounds, goes back home, figures something else out, and then gets back on that horse and does it and, and figures it out. And so, pushes I mean, a button to defeat them. Yes. <laughs> or, or in the case of the Sandman, uses a vacuum. Yes, of course. <laughs> the, the only comic where a villain is defeated by a vacuum. <laughs> Which is a great fight, by the way. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I mean, we talked about Homecoming, but I mean, what are what are some of your more... What are some of the more famous, but also some of your more favorite versions of the the you know overcoming the odds, the the perseverance? Well, you you can't you can't forget um, the inspirational speech from Aunt May in issue eighteen. The Parkers have gumption speech uh, yeah. that she delivers, even though she looks like she's on the verge of death while delivering. <laughs> that is one Hawks. old crow, Aunt May. 
Parkers have gumption. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's her at like her closest to death before her de-aging process began. Yeah. Although I do appreciate that that scene kind of gets um, adapted a bit in the Raimi Spider-Man 2 scene when they're cleaning when, you know, Peter is cleaning out May's house after, you know, during his his Spider-Man no more moment. Um, where she's just kind of like, you know, you're not Superman, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, she, she, she gives a very stirring speech that I felt was kind of in line with that inspiration to kind of convince him to keep going. And Spider-Man would give this speech to himself too. Like I, I remember in amazing Spider-Man number 20, when he's fighting the scorpion for the first time, uh, the scorpion like defeats him, like you just said. And he hears the Scorpion going after Betty, um, you know, because he's attacking the offices. And Spider-Man gives himself his own pump-up speech about uh, about never giving up. And he goes back to defeat the Scorpion. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like – it's just a part of the character, you know. Uh, again, like a trope that repeats itself over and over again. Um, the Master Planner one is really unique because there's a visual associated with it. And I think if there's a visual that's repeated more, I think it's probably the most repeated visual in Spider-Man comics is the lifting stuff over your head visual. Yeah, I can think about a dozen comics where we see that. I mean, there's there's I mean, we didn't we just see it recently even in um, in a, a volume four issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Like, yeah, I feel when like... The, the like factory is burning down before the clone conspiracy he yes. like lifts the stuff off of his, uh, what was the guy's name? Pedro or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think we did a review of like Revelations uh, or like a volume two where 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 he does it. Um, yeah, I mean it's, it. it's everywhere. Yeah, and that uh, that Clone Saga, you know, first half conclusion issue. I was just recently talking about. It was a spectacular. I think it was spectacular two twenty seven. It's actually. Peter is buried and Ben picks up the rubble to kind of uh, like, you know, the, you you know the show, like the passing of the torch, which was kind of clever. Um, obviously, um, I mean, there's a cover of it recently uh, from the, uh, the, 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 the train, the two part train one, uh, un- unscheduled stop. Unscheduled stop. That's it. Yes. And he and, does that I with mean, the rats in that issue. Yeah. So obviously that's a visual we see a lot. And then just thematically, like probably my favorite post Dicko Lee reference to this idea. And, and again, we talked about this during the essential series is the nothing can stop the juggernaut story because, you know, what what I feel really ratchets that whole idea up to another level is the fact that, you know, here is Spider-Man, this character who won't give up, who won't stop going against the villain whose mantra is I don't stop and you cannot stop me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's, it's just the, the best uh, to me manifestation of that, you know, that unstoppable for, I I've always described it in my writing as, you know, it's the unstoppable force versus the unbreakable will. Um, and you know, I think that's probably what, what, what Lee and Dicko were going for here. It's that unbreakable will. Yeah, absolutely. I I think about the Moreland story coming home for that, too. I mean, it's a much longer version of that 
but uh, you know, Spider-Man is on the edge of death, but still uh, like willing to push himself to the brink in order to save everybody else. Um, and that's really uh, heroic and fun to read, and uh, and something we've read. I mean, it, it is a, a common well to return to, and one that I'm still not tired of. Definitely. Even if I'm a little over the uh, master planner lifting lead visual. Fair enough. Even in Homecoming? No, that was exciting. But in the comics, okay. I think it's time to take a break. Yes. The next one we want to talk about here, I mean, this is a, it's yet another one of these tropes that has been there since the very, very beginning. It's the idea of Spider-Man, hero or menace. Yeah, yeah. As reflected in Amazing Spider-Man number one, Jonah's got that newspaper cover that says exactly that, Spider-Man Menace, whereas we know a little better, or at least we think we do. Sometimes Peter does seem more like a menace than a hero in those early issues. but Yeah, but it's like because of this, it's allowed villains to kind of get an advantage over him by either impersonating him or, you know, allowing the public to believe that Spider-Man is secretly that villain. Um, I mean, we saw, in, again, in that first issue, the chameleon uh, impersonate Spider-Man uh, to kind of cause chaos. Um, Electro, you know, J. Jonah Jameson says that Spider-Man must be Electro when he first appears in Amazing Spider-Man number nine. Uh, what are some other instances of this? It also happens Mysterio dresses as him to rob a bank in issue 13. And yeah. Craven also dresses as him to attack Jonah in issue 34. It's like, how many people are cosplaying as Spider-Man in these few issues? It's like Stan Lee and Steve Dicko like to return to this well frequently. Yeah, and again, this it's not like, this is very unique to Spider-Man. It's not like Doctor Doom was going around with a four on his chest when he was fighting the Fantastic Four. I mean, Although Doctor Doom is now wandering around in an Iron Man costume. Okay, well that's, you know... <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the point being is that, you know, this this is something very distinct to Spider-Man. You know, it, again, it plays into his outsider's uh, outcast status. Um, and it's 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 led to some fun stuff. I mean, where where, where have we seen this post Lee and Dicko? I mean, plenty of places, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's like ev every comic with Jonah in it, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's pushing this trope, whether he's funding villains to take him down or not. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, to kind of jump universes here, I mean, with with Ultimate Spider-Man, weren't there like, wasn't there some issues with Spider-Man being, you know, there were like, like a clone of a spider or not a clone of Spider-Man showing up, but like there were crimes being committed that were being pegged on Spider-Man. Yeah, it was these like spider twins. Uh, we never really got a very good uh, ending to resolution. That. But yeah. I will say, like for most of that run, the police, when they saw Spider Man, would fire at him, and he even got shot with a bullet a few times, which led him to meet Nick Fury and Shield and all and all of that. Um, I mean, eventually the police would get on his side, depending on who the police officer was. But right. yeah, I mean, he was seen as this kind of like unknowable menace. And I, again, when we talked about the costume, this is also a, an attribute of Spider-Man's costume is that nobody knows who he is. So there's kind of an inherent mystery and suspicion about him. Yeah. 
And just a couple other good examples. Uh, more recent, there's the Spider Tracer mystery where Spider-Man's, uh, Spider-Man was being framed up for murder. Oh, that's a uh, great one. You know, because his tracer was being left at the scene of the crime. Um, and then even just um, the fact that um, Spider-Man was wanted for the death of Norman Osborn during the death of the Green Goblin storyline. That was, um, And that was kind of a, a, a rap that haunted the character for like, 60 70 issues before charges were finally dropped there was basically basically marv wolfman came on the book and was like i'm tired of this storyline so there's gonna be a new da and the charges are dropped <laughs> wah, wah. yeah can but, we make but, a yeah, trope get... of um changing editorial teams dropping stories <laughs> i guess that's a true <laughs> maybe not of this run but that's definitely a trope of spider-man history yeah uh what else do we got here dan what, what's what's our next one our next one is uh we talked about this a little bit earlier but the trope that you know spider-man he's a lovable guy but he just can't have love no it's very sad you know, the, the poor the poor man can never, never, never stay with a woman, right? I mean, so I mean, obviously, during these Lee Dicko issues, the two main love interests are Betty Brant and, to a lesser degree, Liz Allen. Uh, actually, in the first issue that Betty shows up, Peter blows off a date that he has with Liz because he has to quote study for exam, although he's really just going after the Sandman. So, like, there's like that first case of that's also a Parker Luckism, you know, that he can't he can't fulfill his 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 social obligations because of his spider-man obligations yeah and and that's kind of like half the, uh, of this trope like the the trope usually takes two forms it's either he can't make his dates because he has to go do a spider-man thing or his relationship is doomed to fail because he's hidden this secret from them and if they find out they're going to leave him or they find out and feel betrayed that he wasn't able to confide that secret uh, with them. Um, and of course, that's a Parker Luck thing. You know, he can't tell them because they might put in danger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, a, a, as to the second one, you know, he can't really have a long relationship with Betty because uh, she is so fearful of his life as even just a photographer. He knows that if he tells her that he's Spider-Man, um, you know, that she is going to not be able to handle um, uh, living with that. Yeah, and then that whole drama is like ratcheted up a bit when um, Spider-Man is on the scene um, with a fight with Doc Ock where Betty's brother, um, was it Bennett? Yeah. Uh, Bennett Brent is is shot and killed in the crossfire. And even though Bennett is, is basically a crook himself, um, Betty blames Spider-Man for his death. You know, like he was involved somehow. Um, and this is, that's a... The, that's an idea that would, you know, recur years later when uh, Captain Stacy died during Spider-Man's battle. Interesting enough with Doc Ock and Gwen blamed Spider-Man for his involvement in her father's death. Um, so, again, it's like, I mean, that's how it manifests itself. And it's probably its most dramatic way. I just had a sudden flashback to the fact that Bennett Brandt is still alive or was briefly still alive in the pages of Venom a few years back. That's right. But then I think, but I think then Betty kills him again, right? Yeah, she killed him. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, maybe, you, like maybe. you do, like you do. Yeah. 
Because oh, you know, if ever there's a character that you could bring back from the dead, it's the the unsuperpowered brother of the secretary from the Daily Bugle. There you go. There you go. And then I guess like the most dramatic version of this, although it's not from this run, is that like you know Gwen Stacy would die, and and that's associated with like him being Spider Man to some extent. Um, although it's, it's less, a it's less, a um, a charge of, of something Peter did. Like he's not really like responsible for her being up on that bridge like that. Um, like by right. his own kind of, uh, Parker luckism. Yeah. But it, but it demonstrates that, you know, because of who he is and his identity getting out, this is, this is, these are the consequences, you know? Um, and then also talking, you know, we mentioned earlier uh, about editorial interference. Probably the other most famous manifestation of this trope is um, One More Day, where the text itself says, you can't have love, Peter Parker. <laughs> 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 I mean, Mephisto just says it. You will never be happy. <laughs> um, so um, there you go. Uh, Spider-Man, don't, don't date him unless you want to die or get your marriage annulled the by less, a devil. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> so what's our next trope we're going to talk about? Uh, the next one, I know we're, 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 we're banging these out. The next one is Spider-Man must always protect his identity. And which is kind of funny because at the same time, Spider-Man, Peter has always had this, this fear of many reasons of his identity getting out. You know, in terms of Aunt May, it would give her a heart attack and she die uh, because of the fact that Spider-Man is kind of assumed to be a menace and a crook. You know, it, it would implicate Peter as being guilty of something. So, I mean, there's always been practical or somewhat practical reasons why he's had to do this. Yet the same token, um, Peter has also kind of been careless <laughs> with his identity, even though it that has not always been. It never really bit him in the butt during this run, which is kind of funny. Although he's probably um, the most careless with his identity during this run. Yes, yes. Um, but like, you know, this this was seen as early as um, Amazing Spider-Man number four. Uh, Peter's mask is torn when he's fighting the Sandman, uh, and he, and he just imagines being uh, he imagines being maskless only for Sandman to like turn around and be like. Uh, as soon as the police grab me, they're gonna know who you are too, buddy. Uh, which then, like, has like him picturing Jonah, like tarring and feathering him, and all this. So it just kind of shows, like, you know, even if he does something good because his mask is ripped, he kind of has to like give up on the fight now. My favorite detail from that scene is that uh, in his imagination, Aunt May is forced to sell shoelaces for ten cents on the street. <laughs> like that's. Like that's all she's good for is selling her shoelaces for ten cents. It's like kind of a weird, like child's version of poverty. <laughs> yes, uh, we, we gotta wonder what Stan was sniffing when he wrote that scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, just more, more, less absurd, but more, in more funny is uh, when the living brain shows up in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number eight. And, you know, like the apparently like they, they're able to like feed in da data into the brain and the brain will determine who Spider-Man is. And Peter is just basically like, you know, 
crapping himself as this is happening, be like, oh my god, he's gonna find out in front of everybody. <laughs> I always think about that scene um, uh, uh, related to this in Ultimate Spider-Man, where Craven the Hunter comes to the school and says he's gonna sniff out Spider-Man, and right. he, and he's like, oh god, like this guy's gonna might just find me right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, I mean, and this is this is a famous instance, and it's even on the cover of the comic, Amazing Spider-Man number 12, uh, in Fighting Doc Ock. Peter is has a cold and basically loses his powers and gets, like, beat up like a rag doll and gets unmasked. Except, you know, you would think, oh, this is it. It's done. The secret's out. Except everyone's like, oh, what's Peter doing? And, like, even Doc Ock's like... Spider-Man isn't this weak. This can't be Spider-Man. It's just some puny teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny because everybody like it's Peter's one moment where he actually looks good because yeah. people are like, oh, how brave of you, Peter, you know, like stupid, but brave of you to like try to save Betty by doing this, you know, like, but uh, yeah, it's, it's got a nice little twist to it. That's kind of bittersweet. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it kind of makes you wonder why people just don't actually remember continuity in these comics because, like, you know, you, you would think that all these other times where it's been kind of suspect, like, where's Peter? Why why is Peter never around when Spider-Man's here? And blah, 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 blah. Well, too bad there was never ever an instance where Peter was uncovered as Spider-Man. <laughs> or like that one time that Peter came over to our house and just told us he was Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, clearly it was a fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> what issue is that? That was oh, is that like eighty nine or eighty eight or something? something? Like it's, that. Yeah, that's it's one of the right later Ramita Lee issues. <laughs> um, and then I mean, a couple more instances during this run. I mean, uh, Amazing Spider Man number twenty four, which is probably one of my favorite um, Lee Dicko covers. It's it's Mysterio is posing as a psychiatrist, Doctor Reinhardt, and. He actually, you know, he convinces Spider-Man that he's going mad. It almost gets him to to unmask himself. And then Jameson kind of busts in unknowingly and like blows blows like Reinhardt's cover and Spider-Man comes to his senses and doesn't unmask himself, uh, which is just kind of, you know, Jameson walking into it very very, very, uh, that, that, that feels like a Dicko and Randian kind of plot twist that, that Jameson would blow that for everybody, right? <laughs> Spider-Man even goes so far as to, like, web the mask to his face in this run, which I yes. always found humorous. Like, how can he see? Like, what does that feel like to web yourself in the face? Right. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, well, he... <laughs> He has to do it during his during the fight with the crime master and the Green Goblin, because uh, in the issue prior with the Spider Slayer, Peter, Peter, uh, what happens? Oh, he he like he loses his costume and he goes to like get a new costume from the house and Aunt May finds it behind a bookcase. And it's just like, <laughs> stop dressing up, you <laughs> yet again. <laughs> Never putting two and two together. Everybody is so dense. I mean, at least They're... it's not as bad as the Clark Kent wears glasses and Superman doesn't thing. So the other one we want to talk about, speaking of old May, is that the most reoccurring trope, especially during this run, is that poor old sick Aunt May is the cause of all of Peter's woes. That old May, she's going to get sick. Yeah. 
It's it's true. It's it's you know all the way back to, well you know I always felt like in the beginning you know first issue of Amazing Spider-Man it's like you know Peter feels this obligation to take care of her because without Uncle Ben like you know she's got nothing, but then like it just became this real like health issue. What around Amazing Spider-Man number five that a doctor comes over and tells Peter that May is old and fragile and can't be shocked. Uh, so like <laughs> Peter, it, it, like changes how like Peter sneaks out of the house going forward and stuff. He's actually why he's sneaking into the basement. Yeah. He then blows a fuse and then makes an excuse that he needs to go buy new fuses at the <laughs> store. <laughs> it's like, if I could only just keep blowing fuses for the next six years, <laughs> <laughs> we really ought to call an electrician to check this out. No, don't worry about it, Aunt May. I'm taking care of it. All right. <laughs> I'm, next next week, I'm gonna I'm gonna m- damage the light bulb in the refrigerator. <laughs> we gotta move out of Forest Hills. This house is cursed. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean this 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 happens over and over again. Wasn't there something where, or am I confusing this with? Um, yeah, I'm confusing this with a later lizard story where I feel like. Peter sends Aunt May to Florida to like rest up <laughs> just, but also because he wants to like stalk the lizard and Kurt Connors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, most of the Stan Lee, Steve Dicko and features Aunt May going in and out of the hospital. Um, I don't know if she's choosing to get elective surgery beyond that. Like she just needs to keep going back. But um, in Amazing Spider-Man number nine, Peter sends Aunt May to the hospital, even though she doesn't want to go, mainly because she's worried, quote, who will take care of you, dear Peter? Um, And Amazing Spider-Man number 10, an issue later, Peter gives May her first blood transfusion. Then seven issues later, she's back in the hospital again. And then 14 (laughs) issues after that, She's back in the hospital again, and then we take a little bit of a break from Aunt May going to the hospital. I think Master Planner finally was like, okay, we did this. The old crow can survive for a little longer. Yeah. Um, you know, and then apparently, you know, years later, she would go on to like owning real estate in Canada. Uh, <laughs> she would almost marry Doc Ock. <laughs> um, so I guess she got better. Jim Shooter came along and uh, as editor in chief of Marvel in the late seventies, and and mandated to everyone, you cannot write stories about Aunt May being sick and dying. Like that was like, like no more of this crutch. <laughs> so and it's kind of um, stuck since then. Yeah, outside of Amazing Spider-Man number four hundred, uh, and her uh, get her getting her leg crushed. Yes. Although we thought we didn't we think at the beginning of Dead No More like we saw her with the with the the uh, the, her, the handkerchief with the blood in it and we're like ah oh, here we go again and uh, <laughs> we were so eager for this trope to return yeah yeah well let's not forget when she came down under sniper fire Dan but although I know you we said in the last segment we don't talk about that story anymore oh I like I like that fine okay <laughs> it's the conclusion to that story I don't like. Fair enough. All right. All right. We got we got one more trope left, and this this trope is so big. This will probably get its own episode during the season. But why don't you introduce it, Dan? Yeah. Uh, the trope is masked villains. Who is yes. this guy? 
you know, I think everyone always just jumps to the Green Goblin as being the ultimate mystery villain. And I think in many ways that probably did set the template for everything that followed in Spider-Man. But technically it started a few issues before the Green Goblin's first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man number 14. And that was in Amazing Spider-Man number 10 when it was the big man who was the mystery villain. Um, but that was cleared up pretty much by the end of the issue. Yeah, he turned out to be Frederick nobody. Foswell, right? Or I thought it was Foswell. I thought Foswell's a crime master. No, the crime master was nobody. Yes. I'm mixing them up. The crime master is nobody. Yeah, but Foswell is the big man, and then he goes straight and joins the bugle. Of course and Foswell uses, was the big man with the white mask. What am I talking about? I'm losing my mind here, Mark. It's okay, Dan. I won't, I won't judge you. Two relatively forgettable villains. <laughs> I'm surprised we've never seen the return of Frederick Foswell. Hey, man, there's always there's the new issues of Venom to look look forward to. That's true. Where early Bugle characters will make their weird reappearance. Yes. All right. So um, issue ten is the big man, and that's Frederick Foswell, followed by the legendary all time. Green Goblin and Amazing Spider-Man 14. Yeah. And then the Crime Master. And there's even that great uh, Ditko splash page of, uh, I think it's Amazing Spider-Man number 20. It's either 25, uh, it's, it's either 26 or 27, where it's like the Goblin, the Crime Master, and Spider-Man. And there's like a big question mark in the middle of the page, um, kind of teasing the whole who's who. It's a big triangle of mystery. <laughs> I want to talk about the visualization of this because we talked about the visualization of like the lifting the lead and everything. But I mm -hmm. think this trope has a visualization with it too. And that's the like blacked out faces or the like, I'm taking my costume off, but my face is blocked by some door I've opened. Yes. Um, we saw that just shortly ago during superior Spider-Man several yes. times. Um, but I think we've gotten it with a number of characters. Um, and there's been a number of mass people moving forward. Most famously, your favorite character, Mark, the Hobgoblin. Um, but yes. we've got the Rose as well. Who else is masked? You got the, um, well, like, well, then there's the the a lot of the goblins, like Menace. Yeah, that and, was a great one. Uh, the the third Green Goblin, which ended up being Harry Shrink. Um, and then of course, um. Well, then the new the 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 new old Green Goblin and Superior they played that out until it ended up being Norman Osborn, Seamus the wrestler. Uh, <laughs> um, what else we got? Anyone else that's that's pretty famous in that regard? I'm sure there's a ton that I'm forgetting right now, but yeah, those are the big ones. All right, Dan, I think we copied these. Uh, we we covered these pretty pretty densely. Yeah, I mean, these are the things we see over and over again. Let's talk about them in general. Do you feel like most of these are kind of played out? You know, like, I mean, one thing I'll say about Dan Slott is, you know, he's re revisited some of these, but I think he's really kind of broken away from a lot of these since the beginning of his run with Big Time. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I do, I do. Although I do feel that he plays, if if anything, he plays to the mystery villain angle a little too heavily. Yeah, I agree. Um, with that. Where I, where it's like you know, 
and we talked about this a lot during Dead No More, where you know I was even questioning the necessity of making another mystery villain angle because I feel like we had just dealt with that in Superior. You know what I mean? And and it was just like, is this actually a mystery or not? Because you know there were moments where it felt like they were teasing a mystery, and moments where they weren't. Um, I would I would just say that. In terms of it being played out, I mean, you know, I, I think the reason we're bringing these up is that, I mean, these are these are these are classic wells to go back to. I mean, you know, obviously, you got to do more than just visually reference these things. I mean, it'd be nice to have a nice unique spin on it, and I think we have seen unique spins on these over the years. But at the end of the day, I mean, like, I think these are mostly the stories you tell about Spider-Man that involve these elements. Like, I don't think you can go much further than that right i mean that's part of what makes them tropes it's it's this is this is it right this, these are the stories to tell yeah i agree with that i think the ones that like kind of wrinkle you know for me like the ones that i i like recoil from are when they're just kind of shallow references you know yes. like I, i'm thinking about the lifting the building in that recent uh, issue of amazing spider-man before clone conspiracy where he's just lifting the 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 building and i was like all right like i it's a it's a shout out but it's not doing anything more than that it's not playing into the heart of the trope the never give up of that moment like yeah you can echo that moment but when you're not playing to the trope it's hollow and like it works for me in spider-man homecoming even though i've seen it a million times because it's being honest to the underlying emotion that made that visual powerful absolutely and 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 to that point it's not even just like a new versus old thing because like i i one of my instances one of the instances of the of the lifting lifting building stuff um that i always think of in terms of being played out and kind of trite is actually um amazing spider-man uh 365 which is the uh, the 30th anniversary hologram issue with the lizard yeah and and i you know i remember rereading that recently not recently it was maybe a couple of years ago for a post i did on chasing amazing and was kind of rolling my eyes because it's like this kind of out of nowhere like despairing moment during his fight with the lizard where he's lifting stuff over his head and i was like you know like it was very it was so heavy-handed because it's like oh it's the anniversary issue so we have to work this in somehow you know what i mean it was like it was like checking a box yeah, and, and that, that's a cool issue. Otherwise, like it didn't, right. need, it didn't need that. No, it didn't. And and you know, like it's like let's not check boxes in terms of what we're gonna do. Um, you know, let's instead just just like you say, be honest to the to the sentiment of the moment if we're gonna reference those moments. So, cool. Well, I think that's a good place to end this discussion. Uh, so, thanks everybody for joining us for this fourth episode of our first season of all new Amazing Spider Talk. Our next episode is going to be out in two weeks on August 30th. Uh, what's going to be the title of our next show? Uh, well, Dan, it's going to be called, I think I have to say this in like a Pacino Scarface voice, Dan, the, the bad guys. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm terrible. <laughs> so all the, my little friend, the bad guys. We're going we're gonna to do a show called The Bad Guys. There we go. How's that? You like that? I might just delete all of this, Mark. No! I'm going to delete this whole episode because of that impression. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the amazing bad guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yes. We're, <laughs> We're going to talk. That? 
<laughs> I'm taking over, Mark. Okay. We're talking about the bad guys from the Lee and Dicko run, uh, and Mark hopefully is not going to be revisiting his Pacino accent. Um, and we're going to highlight a few of our favorites and talk about the ones that never really seemed to catch on. Uh, Mark, I got a few favorites that never caught on that are, I mean, like I wish they caught on because they are very close to my heart. First you get the looter, then you get the power, then you get the women. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode, where we will be discussing and reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 31, the end of the Secret Empire tie-in books, uh, which actually turned out to be a pretty pivotal issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we hope you'll join us for that conversation. And remember, folks, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, not even a, a special edition comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, mailbags, etc., etc. These are for like our off weeks from the regular episodes. Uh, and then for $10 or more a month, you'll be sent exclusive commission artwork every six months. And Dan, I know you've been making plans about that. So what, what do we got on the docket there? Yeah, speaking of that commissioned artwork, uh, last week I revealed that Ron Friends is going to be creating a full-page spread for us. Uh, and we've decided that we want to do it in the manner of Lee and Ditko because that's what we're talking about. So Ron is going to be doing his very own interpretation of the scene we talked about today, Spider-Man lifting the rubble over his head from the Master Planner story. I can't wait to see this. It's going to be a big, splashy page of Ron's interpretation of that awesome issue. Um, and you can only get it by joining our Patreon page and our Excelsior Club. So um, it's going to be great. Everyone's going to get a print and a digital copy of it, and they're going to be numbered, a limited print. And if you miss it, that's it. Uh, the end. You're not going to be able to get it anywhere else. So uh, I'm really excited about it. First, you get the commissioned artwork. Okay, I won't do it. I won't, oh, uh, God. <laughs> Mark. Man, Mark, this, is, if, this is as bad as when I kept talking about like Karate Kid 3 with you. I oh, can tell. No, oh, no. <laughs> Mark, if people really care to get more of you, and I'm really not sure they're going to want to after this, uh, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, well, of course, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. You can find me on ChasingAmazingBlog.com, SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Or you could, of course, buy my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, published by Triumph Books, available wherever books are sold. Dan, I recently got an inquiry, someone listening to an older episode, uh, asking about um, signed copies of the book or, or how to get them if they're not in in the orbit of New York and Brooklyn, where I am, if, if you then just tweet at me on Twitter again, that's at chasing ASM blog, uh, and I can uh, direct message you a way I can send you a, a inscribed book plate to put on your book. Uh, so if that's something you want, I'll gladly do it for you. Dan, where can we find your stuff? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at sup spider talk, where I talk about all of my Spider Man musings and thoughts about the comic book industry and all kinds of other stuff, and also all the postings from our website over at superiorspidertalk.com. And um, I just want to say, if you guys 
um, have never been to SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. We'd love for you to come check it out. We do a lot of hard work over there. And um, one of the things that's been really exciting recently is because of the success of the Patreon, we've finally been able to pay our contributors to do reviews for the site. So that's a big thing, and we're only able to do it because you guys have been so generous with supporting us. So all the money that you're giving us for the Patreon is going to a good place. It's going to create more awesome content over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. So, uh, you know, uh, there's probably an adage in there about great Patreon donors and power and money and some Al Pacino nonsense. But, Mark, um, as we're always sure to remember our favorite uh, motto... Say hello to my little friend. All right. Well, I'm taking it away this time. With great (laughs) podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Spider Talk.